That's what she said, episode 20, safety training. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go Welcome to episode 20 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 20th episode of season 3, entitled Safety Training, which originally aired Thursday, April 12, 2007. He can bail if he wants to. He can leave his friends behind, because his friends don't bail, and if they don't bail, well... They're no friends of mine. Michael finds himself chastised by the warehouse crew over his lack of safety, but who can blame him? It's just a fancy red trash compactor, after all. And Michael's right. Since when did Nerf stop being cool? It's all about the visuals, though. All it takes is a bouncy house and a five-story drop to get Michael's point across. Oh, and by the way, what are the odds that this episode of That's What She Says is going to be totally, completely awesome? I'd say, like, 10,000 to 1. Okay, I'd like 10 bucks on those odds. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week, as usual, is our senior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Unshun, Matt. I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> oh, Reshun. No, I'm. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, still worrying about my health a little bit. My voice is still kind of messed up. Gonna go see a doctor this week and try to see what's going on. But we're here not to talk about my health problems, but to talk about safety training. This is one of those episodes again this weekend that Thursday Matt wasn't too pleased with. Yeah, I shunned Thursday Matt. I know. Sometimes... Would you, please, Matt? Would you please inform Thursday Matt? <laughs> That he knows nothing about bear attacks. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, if you don't mind, I'll start off a little bit first here. What, what, what my problem was. When I first saw this on Thursday night, this to me was one of those episodes that was just like Phyllis's wedding, where I felt that Michael was just, he was written to a level of incompetence that was almost cartoonish in a way, like almost to a point that was just beyond believability to me. And the, and the biggest hurdle, the biggest thing that I just couldn't buy into is the fact that, I mean, he, he willfully kicked the ladder out from underneath Daryl, who then fell and broke his ankle. And there's absolutely, and he was still laughing about it later when he was talking about it. And I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff. And like I said, we can nitpick this back and forth. And, and uh, you know, they have that, that other blog set up talking about how much all these things would cost the company and all this kind of stuff like that. But that just seems so egregious to me. You know, I don't think they've ever had anything like that before. Michael physically like pushed somebody down. <laughs> it's like him pushing them down a flight of stairs or something. And, and well, isn't it that he kicked the ladder out from under Daryl? Yeah, so exactly. Daryl has it hanging. So it's not like he pushed him over while he was still on the ladder. I mean, maybe that's just semantics, but well, that's what it sounded like to me that he was reaching for. <laughs> We'll play the clip, but I don't know. But it's, all, it's like you said he was reaching for something, and then he kicked the ladder out from underneath him. So I think he was still so on the ladder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, to me it's not that 
unbelievable that Michael would uh, take a joke like that a little too far, you know, thinking that was funny. No, I mean, I don't, I, I don't even say that I find it unbelievable that he would think it was funny. It just seemed, it, it seemed to be too much of an, too much of something that would just. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't suspend my disbelief that he wouldn't be fired or something very serious wouldn't happen over that. Yeah, I mean, I, if your you boss know, caused you, if, if your boss kicked the ladder out from under your, you know, while you're standing there and, and you broke your leg, you'd just still be working there. Wouldn't you be suing the company <laughs> I for think if, tons if of money? You, and, if you want to take that approach, then we don't really have much of a series. Right. Well, I know. Because Michael Scott would have been fired long ago. Right. And like I said, we've talked about that before, and obviously that's, that is the show, but that just, that one thing that seemed to be a little bit to the left of where I could buy, because all the other stuff I could see, and they've talked about it, you know, like with Roy last week, they specifically went out of their way to say, you know, yeah, he was fired, and Jim's not going to sue the company, and all this kind of stuff, and they sort of talked about that. That just seemed a little bit too much over the top, and I don't want to harp on that for any more time. That was one of the things, and I also really... I also was really kind of bothered by the fact that the warehouse people were just so abusive to him, to this guy who technically is their boss, just like telling him to shut up and what the hell's wrong with you and damn it and all this kind of stuff like that. And I think, you know what, I want to tell you the, the, the real reason why I think that this rubbed me the wrong way at first was the fact that we had, out of 20 episodes this season, I think we've probably seen Daryl maybe three times. Mm-hmm. And we've and then they just pack like these two Daryl heavy episodes right in a row. I think that was the problem. If this would have been spaced out, um, you know, if this would have come like five, six, seven episodes earlier in the season, or there would have been some kind of distance between the negotiation and safety training, I don't think it would have bothered me. I agree with that. That yeah, maybe it was a little. It, it's a double dose of Daryl when you know earlier in the season we were wondering what the hell happened to the guy. I, I can see that. Maybe this. So this episode might have been a little more palatable to you, like if it had been somehow earlier in the season, you know, minus the the plot lines that followed to this point, like Andy coming right, back. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that was my biggest my biggest problem with it is that Daryl's role in the show, and we've, we've seen him a couple of times, and we talked about this last week, that his role in the show really is to vex Michael and kind of, you know, if he can screw with Michael, he's going to screw with Michael. And the only reason he needs to help him is to get his own raise. But it, it usually comes a little bit more spaced out, I guess, like I'm saying. The last time that we saw him was in, uh, you know, with the photo, right, with the back from vacation. Uh-huh. And we saw him, and he was in there, and he's just like, no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah, I forwarded it to a bunch of people. And then the next time we saw him was like, you know, seven episodes later in the negotiation. And and that was, again, okay, we here's Daryl again, and he's kind of, a, you know, a real jackass to Michael and make fun of him and take pictures of him in his lady suit and his, you know, take a picture of his pay stub and make him cry. And and then, yeah, just bam, right in the very next week, same thing where he's making fun of Michael and uh, belittling well, him. Well, he's not making fun of Michael so much this time as, I mean, he's legitimately mad at him. Well, yeah, I mean, he's angry, and, and they they put that leg-breaking thing in there, I think, as to give him a reason to be angry at him, even though just last week, you know, they were <laughs> he got him his raise, so you'd think that he'd cut him a little slack. Yeah, maybe that's a little inconsistent with last week's storyline, but, I mean, they were never going to be chummy to begin with, I think. Right. I mean, I, I know that they're adversaries, and they're never going to really be friends or buddies, or Daryl's never going to have any respect for him and probably he shouldn't at all. 
it just like I said, it just it was just too much in a row. And if it would have been spaced out, I think it would have just not been a big deal for me. I mean, the thing about this episode though is that aside. But so, but as a standalone episode, then I'm I'm kind of wondering if that's a little bit of an unfair criticism because. Well, yeah, maybe it is, but I can't. I mean, I. I I can't help the way that they play the episodes in order, you know. It, it's just like, um, you know, you don't want to have the same thing for lunch two days in a row. You know, you want a little variety maybe. You want to have, you know, get your uh, chicken wings and roast beef sandwich. You know, that's fine this week, but you don't want to have it exactly the same the next day. I, I, this, I, you know, I can't, I, I can't help that kind of stuff. I'm sure it was, a, you know, it's a good episode by itself. But unfortunately, we came into it with the negotiation as the lead-in, be that as it may. This is, for me, again, half the episode I didn't really love, half the episode I really did enjoy. The office plot line with the betting and all that stuff was very second season. I mean, it was very, very interesting and funny and sort of believable, and it's kind of the stuff that we've been talking about that we've been missing from the show. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I mean, that's sort of why I, I was surprised to hear that you didn't like the episode. Well, that was the thing. I mean, because the Michael plotline started it off right away with with them yelling and screaming, and you know, you're an idiot, and he's like jumping around, banging the <laughs> banging the forklift and all that kind of stuff. And so it's sort of, I don't know. Like I said, it was a little. I think I had too much Daryl right at first, but that yeah, the office pranks. I mean, the betting plotline that that was like I said, it was really from last season. It really kind of felt like I had been talking about. Um, stuff where they're in the office trying to pass the time, you know, just like, uh, especially like we said, we referenced this before, that this episode sort of had a similar feel to the Office Olympics, mm-hmm. where Michael and Dwight are off doing something else, and then everyone else is kind of entertaining themselves in the office, and and, and that was, I really did like to see that plot line, it was really funny, again, two weeks in a row we have Creed with, uh, with the <laughs> hit out of the park, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times, and it wasn't even really him saying anything, but... Uh, well, one time it was, I think. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and there's a castle over there. And, and then chewing on the potatoes. So, I don't know. It was, it was a half and half. And, and part of the other stuff is, too, and I know we disagree on this a little bit, but um, I, I found that the episode got really dark at the end, where Michael I... was on the roof, and I felt like it turned into more uh, of he really was thinking about maybe killing himself <laughs> at that You know, point. the first time I watched the episode, that's exactly how I felt. I'm like, I'm not comfortable with what I'm seeing here because it just, it just seems like they're they're inching into some territory that maybe might have seemed funny, but, yeah, you're, you're dealing... Not, not, you know, not that they have to necessarily walk on eggshells uh, when talking about certain topics like depression or whatnot, but it just... I, I was wondering, you know, where are they trying to go with this? But I think the more I watched the episode the more I, I, I'm comfortable with my, what really happened. And I, I don't think it has much to do with depression at all. It's only Michael's excuse to try and trump Daryl. Well, that's part of it. But, I mean, there's a couple of other lines he drops in there, and we can talk about this more a little bit later. But, you know, when he's up on the roof, he says, you know, his reason for doing this, you know, is the safety thing. But then he slips in something like, oh, and, and then, you know, maybe they'll really miss me or something like that. Uh and then when he's yeah, the but room. that's Michael Scott right there. He wants I know. to be well, loved. It's, it's all part of his narcissism, you know, and like I said, his desire for, 
for people to see him as that family father figure or whatever be loved like you said but again when he's up there you know he's on the roof and he's like arguing back and forth you know why should I come down what do I have to live for that was it seemed like it was right on the edge of being you know <laughs> a real suicide just, situation yeah I think that they tried to come up with a corollary somehow that I think it was more it wasn't that he was really thinking of killing himself I think he just didn't want to look like a wuss to Daryl anymore. Um, let's just kick it off right here at the beginning because the cold open this week was all about the return of our friend Andy Bernard uh, with a new attitude and a new moniker. Good morning, Pam. Oh, welcome back, Andy. Drew. I'm Drew now. Morning, Jim. Hey, Andy. How are you, man? Good. You can call me Drew. No, I'm not going to call you that. Cool. I can't control what you do. I can only control what I do. Andy. Drew. Dwight. How's it going, man? I have decided to shun Andy Bernard for the next three years, which I'm looking forward to. It's like slapping someone with silence. I was shunned from the age of four until my sixth birthday for not saving the excess oil from a can of tuna. Now, Ian, was this, I mean, was this introduction here of Andy, was this, did this make sense to you based on the events of last week? Yeah, he didn't really have a chance to introduce be uh, introduce himself to everybody. You know, he walks in and he gets sprayed in the face with pepper spray. Well, that's my point. I mean, he just walks in like, "Oh, hey, Dwight, what's up? How's it going, man?" Well, that was his first chance to, uh, you know, whatever anger management tendency <laughs> has learned that you know maybe he figured, okay, Dwight is justified in his anger. Andy, like you said, he. Went through his training. It seems like he's going to be this more mellow guy. It seems like he's willing to, in this episode, for some reason, it seems like he's really trying hard to suck up to Dwight. Yeah, I think that, you know, we were wondering where Andy's going to fit in. Maybe that, at least for the rest of the season, is it. Well, why do you think that he's trying to suck up to Dwight all of a sudden? Is it because Michael totally shot him down? or and, and Dwight's the next highest person on the list? Or what do you think the... Well, if he's legitimately remorseful for what he had done... You're right. He did he did work to get Dwight fired. That's something I didn't even think about that, so that's an interesting angle. I mean, it would be nice if they, you know, either say that implicitly or somehow address that. You notice how we're filling in the blanks, a lot of these blanks for the writers. Yeah, yeah you know, that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've been doing that a lot for this episode, I know, or we'll be doing that a lot. <laughs> we're doing half their job for them. Well, that's the one thing. And, and again, you know, trying to start over, obviously, the, the, you know, the return was a huge meltdown. And, it, you know, we, we thought he definitely flamed out, and we're pretty sure he wasn't coming back. But, you know, he's back, and he's trying to make amends and, and starting over, I guess, with a new name, uh, some kind of Augustine Burroughs type thing. Is that where that comes from? I, I no, was at the know. exact same... <laughs> reaction as Jim did. About yeah, it. but I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's kind of funny, and we've been talking about this all season as far as Jim and his sensitivity, and is Jim a dick? But <laughs> Yeah, that was borderline dickish of Jim. Guy the punched guy. the wall, and he comes back, and he's trying to fit in, and he's like, please call me Drew, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then he purposely taunts him by saying, bye, oh, Andy. That, I love that. that <laughs> he's like, uh, I think I Drew. You played the clip, Drew. <laughs> I mean, uh, he already knows he broke the guy's brain, and he's he's still just, like, cruelly needling him with this. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to see him explode again. I don't know, man. It's, uh, he just can't uh, help himself, I guess. Damn that, Jim. Now, we had a couple people on the blog page and some questions that cropped up about Andy and... 
for how long he was going to be gone. And if you remember, uh, he originally was supposed to be gone for 10 weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, and he bragged that he'd be done early. But then we had some other confusion in there as far as, you know, how long he was gone, when he was supposed to come back, this and that. Let me Let me play a compilation of clips here from the return and from last week and from this week's episode. So Michael had a little chat with corporate, and they decided to send me to management training. Anger management, technically, but still. Management material. <clears throat> this whole thing's supposed to take 10 weeks. I expect to be done in five. How? Name repetition, personality mirroring, and positive reinforcement through nods and smiles. I graduated from anger management the same way I graduated from Cornell, on time. Now I'm back, got a second chance, and I'm not going to blow it. So look out, Dunder Mifflin! Several weeks ago, Andy Bernard had an incident. But after five weeks in anger management, I'm back. And I've got a new attitude and a new name and a bunch of new techniques for dealing with the grumpies. This is, what, this is my point because, they, okay, he said it was ten weeks. Then he said he'd be done in five. But then last week he said he graduated the same on time. Well, this is, might be a case, again, of us filling in the blank. But uh, maybe that isn't a mistake. Maybe there really is some inconsistency on whether or not he finished anger management. Ah, maybe he, <laughs> that's going to be the season finale, is that he never went to the class and he's really a psycho and he's secretly planning to Although you murder would think. Jim. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, you know, I, I brought that up because he did say he would be back in five and get out early by using his tricks and techniques. And so then they, they did keep up with that. I've been gone for five weeks. Again, one of the things that I thought was a little weak in this episode is the, I didn't think they spent enough time dealing with Andy coming back to the office and how everyone else in the office reacted to him. And there's a really kind of funny deleted scene where we see see Andy and Kevin. That really would have fit well. That's the kind of thing I wanted to see. Because, I mean, really, this is a guy who went psycho in the office. And then just comes back. And how do you react? And, you know, how do these other people deal with that? Yeah, I mean, what would be the sensitive way of handling such a thing? Like, Think about Michael's... Uh, sign off to Andy in the return like the things he said to him and Michael didn't even make one mention comment or anything about Andy this episode so that was kind of kind of strange I don't know I, I think that the writers are just trying to smooth him back into the cast without too much of those kind of questions uh, I wonder if that originally you know that 10 week I'm going to be gone for 10 weeks when they wrote that episode I mean did they know that he was going to come back on the show or was that sort of like yeah that's, that's a great question maybe they didn't we're still, I mean, we're still debating that whether or not he has a, a definite purpose on the show and whether he is necessary. Because I was saying to you before that, really, in this episode, um, aside from that cold open, he really didn't serve much of a purpose in this episode at all. I mean, uh, he got a bouncy castle and yeah, that was about it. And and did like a sort of fake yeah thing with Dwight when he was talking about the Baylor. But other than that, I mean, he really didn't do anything. Dwight or somebody else couldn't have done. So will he find his place? We are still wondering, I guess. What do you think? I mean, like I said, have you changed your mind on this? You still, do you think he has, does he have a place? What's he going to do? What's going to happen to him? Yeah, you know, this, if he's, if, uh, at least for the rest of the season, remember, we got what? Three episodes, maybe? Two episodes? Well, it's sort of in contention, but... Uh, yeah, so maybe that, that is, you know, him trying to uh, win Dwight over. All right, well, let's just go ahead and dive right into the main plotline of the episode then. Uh, Michael uh, gets himself, like I said, gets himself into trouble. Today is safety training day. Toby is leading ours upstairs. Yeah. But 
we are going to listen in on Daryl's presentation of the warehouse. And if I know Daryl, it's going to be zoppity. We do safety training every year or after an accident. We've never made it a full year. This particular time, I was reaching for a supply box on the top shelf when one office worker kicked the ladder off from under me and yelled, Hey, Daryl, how's it hanging? And I fell and busted my ankle. And I'm legitimately scared for my workers. So now, was this sort of like a diversity day where they had to do this? They purposely brought Michael down there to make him do this? Or did Michael crash the safety lecture? I think Michael crashed it. I mean, didn't, I mean he said that, like he planned something fun, right? Well, I guess. He, he thought it would be a treat or something somehow to go to the Daryl safety lecture. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I just keep thinking about this. Like I said, that okay, there's the setup. His whole stupid thing where he kicked the guy off the ladder. And, uh, you know, I just kept thinking of Diversity Day where they had this big conference just because Michael was doing his Chris Rock routine. So they make everyone else sit through the meeting, but he's really the only one. Because seriously, Daryl is the only—he's like talking to Michael the whole time. Like, well, right I mean, this, this is becoming a theme of the podcast. But I mean, that's sort of filling in a blank there, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. But uh, I mean, like I said, the, he's talking right to him, and none of the other people really are even involved. Really, the one line I really liked in that in Daryl's little monologue there was that you know we have never gone through a full year. <laughs> yeah, and that's again, if you remember, he talks about um, Michael. You're not allowed to ride, you know, operate the forklift, and we saw it in season two in Boys and Girls. When they went down there to the warehouse, Michael was driving the forklift and basically knocked over the entire warehouse. So is it Michael, because of Michael every time that they have to do this? Uh, well, is that where some of this resentment comes from? Probably. So, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing, and again, I guess maybe that is our theme, filling in the blanks, but it seems to be the implication. One of the things that we talked about briefly uh, before, and one of the things that I really wish that they would have done in this episode is that I know that they, you know, they needed to have a reason for the warehouse people to be mad at Michael. And so they come up with the Daryl kicking him off the ladder, whatever thing. Um, I really wish that they somehow would have tied this into the fact that there is resentment over what happened to Roy to uh, part of the reason why the, the warehouse workers were hostile toward the other people, the other office workers. Um, now, I know you disagree with me or you don't really think that that was necessary. I just think it's implied. I mean, unless you haven't watched, you know, if you're if you're new to it, then maybe you do need an explanation. But I, I don't I don't see why it's it's so much of a a stretch to just assume that there would be some lingering resentment. Well, again, the there we are. We're assuming things. I don't know. I just I wish that we would have seen that some kind but, of. But I mean, but it happened, right? So right. The the conflict, like always, like you said, part of Daryl's point on the show is always to challenge Michael's manhood. Um, so as far as from last week, showing who's boss and, and literally literally and figuratively emasculating Michael in the meeting by pointing out his lady clothes, uh, you know, that that's what drives this whole episode. So when they go back upstairs, Toby gives the office side safety lecture, and it's not quite up to snuff. Toby now has the floor, and he is going to try not to screw this up like everything else in his life. Okay. Um... One thing you're going to want to look out for is carpal tunnel syndrome. For your circulation, um, you're going to want to get up out of your chairs and, uh, and move around. And you, your computer screen can be a big strain on your eyes. Okay, you know what? You're making us sound kind of lame. So skip ahead to the really dangerous stuff. 
like sometimes computers can explode, can they not? No. You kind of, well, I, I don't know if it would have gone well in the audio clip, but I love where they're going over at Exchange, you know, okay, bring over right, you know, yeah. a long sleeve key. Anything that warms you. Yeah, anything that warms you. I love that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and of course, so, so now Michael, uh, feeling emasculated in his office job, just sits and listens to, you know, just got done listening to Daryl explain the dangers of the baler and how you can get your head crushed in it and uh, your arm ripped off. And, uh, you know, the dangers of working in his office, unfortunately, are a little wimpier than than that. And Michael, you know, he won't let it rest. He, say, he keeps trying to ramp it up a little bit. You know, computers explode and some other things. And, and he doesn't, you know, he takes it out of Toby's hands and, and goes looking for other more manly office afflictions. Seasonal affective disorder brought on by the low light of winter. Thank God we only had a bailer to deal with. Okay, let's do another one. This is a good one. A particular concern for office workers is a sedimentary lifestyle which can contribute... Sedentary. ...which can contribute to heart disease. Heart disease kills more people than bailers. That's called having a fat butt, Mike. All right, we out of here. Daryl, I did not walk out in the middle of yours. That's what we've been trying to tell you, Mike. It's serious down there. We do dangerous stuff, man. This is shenanigans, foolishness, Nerf ball. You live a sweet little Nerfy life, sitting on your biscuit, never having to rescue. Ian, you're always sitting on your biscuit. <laughs> oh, I do it. Strain my eyes quite a bit. Oh man, staring at the computer screen all day. So there we go. I mean, technically, yeah. Obviously, different occupations have different hazards, and. You know, Michael being the insecure guy that he is, it's always questioning his own masculinity. That did get a little uh, borderline emotional there, right? No, didn't it? When Daryl was right in his face calling him nerfy, I, it almost looked like he, Michael's going to cry or something. Well, and that's kind of the thing I was talking about, too, before, where I, I wish this would have been a little more spread out from the other episode, because it just, it, it, the first part, the first, like, ten minutes were very confrontational. You know, there's people yelling at each other, and in, and in here you have, like, Kelly and the, the sea monster, like, yelling at each other, telling them to shut up, and, you know, this and that, and Ryan chickening out. <laughs> Apologize oh, to the man. <laughs> in, in Ryan's defense, you know, <laughs> yeah. Patrice O'Neill would have pummeled him. Exactly. I mean, that, but that's the thing, you know, Kelly's like, uh, you know, shut up, you weigh a thousand pounds. <laughs> Who are you talking about? And, and you know, and, and it was just so confrontational. It was just back and forth and really really kind of on the edge, and yeah, and he, I, I guess that Daryl's attitude was coming from that whole, you broke my leg thing. I, I just think there's a natural dynamic of hostility or resentment in, in a setup like that, where you have the blue-collar workers downstairs, they're working their butts off all day physically, and, uh, you know, they're, they're putting themselves at risk while everyone upstairs is probably making more money, you know, sitting at a computer desk. I just think that naturally there would be some resentment. Well, I didn't find it, that's why I didn't find it so hard to believe. You know, as far as making more money, we know that Daryl probably makes more money than everyone else in the office besides Michael, I guess. Yeah. So whatever his reasoning, though, obviously. He insulted Michael's manhood, called him a nerf, that he's wimpy, and, uh, and Michael will not stand for that. And in fact, Michael informs us that he has worked manual labor. He has worked in a warehouse. Daryl thinks he's such a man because he works in a warehouse. Well, big deal. I worked in a warehouse, men's warehouse. I was a greeter. I'd like to see Daryl greet people. Probably make them feel like wimps. Not me. I, hello, 
I'm Michael. Welcome to Men's Warehouse. We have a special on khaki pants today. This is one example. You know, I, I know you said that the last week's deleted scene explained this, which I haven't been able to see. But how can someone who works at the men's warehouse pick out a woman's suit? A woman's suit the week before. Oh, man. Well, he, that's the thing. So he's, he was only a greeter. He didn't oh, wear the clothes. <laughs> I don't Well, yeah, if you watch the deleted scene from last week, there's this big, like, three-minute explanation. In any case, yeah, Michael um, trying, to, <laughs> trying to show his manhood there by uh, working in the warehouse. So, as always, now Michael sits in his office and stews for the rest of the morning trying to figure out you know, uh, what he could do better or what's wrong or whatever, and uh, good old Pam helps him out. Working in an office can lead to depression, which can lead to suicide. Nobody commits suicide because they work for the bailer, and yet those guys are making fun of me, calling me a nerf. It's really hard to demonstrate depression. Their safety training had visuals. Yeah, you are so right. They had visual aids, and all we had were the facts. So you're okay? Indubitably. So can we blame this all on Beasley there? She, <laughs> she pl- plants the seed in Michael's fertile imagination that he needs visual aids. Yeah, <laughs> it gets his little hamster wheel turning in his brain. What symbolizes depression? What could be a visual for depression? And, you know, now that he's got his plan of action, he's goes to his uh, always his faithful number two to work out the details and I, I just love how they get <laughs> how Dwight gets so pissed off God what are we gonna do I don't know I don't know because you know what our killer is depression Wolves. Mm-hmm. depression visual aids yes a quilt depression quilt I got it you may be asking yourself what am I doing on a trampoline well here's a plan Dwight is going to gather all of the office workers and all of the warehouse guys, and we're going to have another safety seminar. Only this time, where's Michael? Oh my God, he is on the roof. Now I have got their attention. I tell them about the cold hard facts of depression. And then I say, hey, you ever seen a suicide? And I jump and they freak out and they get to see the dangers of depression with their own eyes. Nice side note, they might think, hey, I should have been nicer to Michael. <laughs> Man, it's a sense of showmanship <laughs> that he got from going to Magic Camp right there. Uh, a couple, I mean, they're just chock full of nuts in that little passage there. You know, what's our number one danger in the office, Ian? <laughs> Wolves. Uh, carpal, yeah, uh, yeah I, like you said, I love how mad. That's why it gets, you know, how just... I know, Michael stokes him up, and and again, part of the deleted scenes for this week is that we see Michael stoking him up even more. Um, You know, like, they came in here, and they're doing this, and they they told us we're not men, and this and that, and yeah, Dwight's all all riled up, and, you know, of course, they got to get him back somehow, and and this is his big plan, and and unfortunately, they didn't have enough time to make the depression quilt. I would have liked to have seen how that turned out. But, uh, yeah, and, and again, what the hell? You know, it's one of those things, like, like maybe part of the reason why I didn't like this episode on the first run-through is I felt the, that Michael was just being too too stupid in this sense that he thinks he's going to jump off the, a five-story roof onto a toy store trampoline. <laughs> well, in his defense, I don't think it occurred to him until he got up on the roof just how stupid it was. 
Yeah, I, I guess, and that's the thing. After he tests it, now my biggest, actually, my biggest gripe is not that Michael would have come up with the idea, but the fact that Dwight was so willing to go along with it that he yeah, didn't have think, any uh, objection. Yeah, Dwight's usually commonsensical, you know. Yeah, so level-headed with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> but like you said, it's not about thinking, man. It's about rock and roll. Ah, <laughs> uh, good God. Well, now that they get up on top of the roof, um, Michael's thinking about it, and he uh, he wants to kick it Letterman style. Okay, let's do this thing. I'll go summon the troops. Maybe we should test this first, Letterman style. Go buy some watermelons. Ready? Let's do it. Drop that sucker. Activate the car alarm, clean up the mess. Okay, find out whose car that is. If it's Stanley's, call the officers of James P. Albini. See if he handles hate crimes. Got it. Also, take apart the trampoline, stick it in the baler. We're not allowed to use the baler. Have Patch do it, or the sea monster. I'm on it. <laughs> that was one of the biggest, uh, again, biggest laugh out loud visual gags, I think, for me during the episode. The watermelon perfectly bounces off the trampoline onto the car. I wonder how many takes they had to do. <laughs> I was thinking about that, too. Yeah, they had to get that car. Uh, so it was pretty hilarious. It just bounces right off, smashes into the car. And and uh, some people pointed this out too that I didn't really catch this on the first try. But you know Michael's line, if uh, you know if that's Stanley's car, call call the lawyer and see if he handles hate crimes. <laughs> you know, like throwing a watermelon on a black man's car. Uh, hate yeah, yeah. And then, uh, that's another reference there that James P. Albini back to uh, the sexual harassment episode because that's the guy that Michael hired off the uh, billboard <laughs> to come in yeah. and represent him. <laughs> and I guess we might as well talk about this now since we can't really play it on the podcast, but the last like two seconds of the episode, then after we come back from commercial break, we get a pretty priceless shot of Stanley <laughs> just flabbergasted sitting there staring at his car <laughs> covered in watermelon. <laughs> Okay, and as you said, now once Michael actually gets on the roof and after he sees the watermelon test, at that point I'm guessing that his, even his thick brain starts to imagine that that's him catapulting off the trampoline into someone's car. Didn't he say that? I mean, the, the tests were getting... Right, and that's, uh, that's the thing we're getting to then right here is where, like I said before, where I, Dwight actually then starts egging him on. And instead of being sort of like that, uh, you know, level-headed sheriff, deputy safety officer guy that he's known for I don't know what I, what happened to him. maybe he's too worked up about the rivalry but um, he keeps egging Michael on I don't know if I want to do this you want to do another test I got plenty of watermelons in my trunk no no more the tests are going terrible if we keep doing them I'm not going to want to jump this is about doing not thinking right doing totally doing rock and roll rock and roll yeah. that's right I'm not thinking <laughs> yes yeah Michael is off That's it, ready right to there. make that's a point. The, that's the whole episode right there. <laughs> I am ready to make a point. Yes, that working in the office is deadly, especially if you work in an office with Michael. So Dwight eggs him on, and, and like we said, we we didn't really mention this, I guess, but you know, during between those two scenes, then we had Dwight go in and uh, shun, reshun Andy to get him to order the bouncy castle instead of the trampoline, thinking that that somehow is going to be a, a safer alternative. It would be to an eight-year-old. 
Yeah, try to land like an eight-year-old. In any case, you know, yeah, obviously he's still quite stupid. And that is the key point in there that I am going to make a point. So he's going to do all this stupid stuff to try to make his point, to make himself feel more like a man. Now, this is the thing then... (laughs) where I think it starts to kind of take a turn, where it starts out being a lesson, being a point. And I'm still going to say that it it takes a a darker turn. Michael, what's wrong? The stress of my modern office has caused me to go into a depression. Depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Dwight, you ignorant slut. Depression is a very serious illness. Over 32,000 people commit suicide. Don't do anything rash. Wait, where are the warehouse guys? I didn't think you needed them for this part. That's the whole point, dummy. Okay, I'm on it. Attention, blue-collar workers! There you go right there, too. Blue-collar <laughs> workers. Point out the uh, difference in the building right there. At this point, though, when he's up there doing the little skit, I don't think that he's serious about what he's going to do. I mean, I don't... You know, like I said before, if my theory holds, at this point, he's still playing to the crowd... He's still trying to make a point. I know that a lot of people get got a big laugh out of that uh, Saturday Night Live classic line there, calling Dwight an ignorant slut. The second show then goes a little bit better, as Jim tells us. So when the warehouse people come back out there, they go through and Michael does the whole same thing again. And, and then, like I said, this is where I think it starts to kind of step across that line where it gets to be a little dark. And, and you can, I can see, well, I at least could see Michael maybe actually thinking about doing it. You told me that I lead a wimpy nerf life. But I never said you had nothing to live for. What do I have to live for? A lot of things. What about Jan? It's going good, right? It's complicated with Jan. The sex isn't nearly as good as it used to be. Mike, you're a very brave man. I mean, it takes courage just to be you. Do you really mean that? I couldn't do it. I, I ain't that strong and I ain't that brave. I'm braver than you. Why are you braver? You brave heart, man. I brave heart. I am. Come on down, okay? Okay. Pam, I'm coming down to get my present. I brave heart. <laughs> yes, I yes. am. Uh, you know, see, I, I couldn't play that whole scene out in there, but that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, where I, where I started to wonder maybe if it was turning into something a little bit different than that, because it starts out with him again sort of being like, you know, you call me a wimp, and you know, you know, you think I'm lame, and and this kind of stuff. And then they're, he's trying to give him, re, you know, why shouldn't I kill myself? And they're trying to think of reasons, and they can't come up with any reasons. He's want, he wants to jump because you think I'm a wimp. Okay, watch this. It's not because. He's but he knows he's going to get killed if he jumps. But he wants to prove to Daryl that he's got cojones. You know, that he's not some nerfy dude. I don't. I don't know. At that point, I, I could see why you would you would make that presumption. And, and I did. I think the first time I saw it too. You know, like, well, Jesus, he really. I think this is all about trying to prove Daryl wrong. Well, you may be right. And let me just play this clip as my evidence here, as far as why he's maybe taking it a little more seriously. Um, and this comes before that big speech. Hey, check it out. There's a, there's a castle over there. Oh, my God, there is a castle. Oh, my God, he's going to jump. He's going to kill himself pretending to kill himself. Yeah. Hey, uh, Michael, don't jump on the bouncy castle. You can't do that because you're going to get horribly, horribly injured. Hey, Michael, I have a present for you, but you have to come down and get it. What is it? 
comes down and open it and you'll see. Do I find out what the present is? So I don't know. Like I'm saying, at that point, I mean, I don't think they're worried that he's gonna that he's thinking of killing himself. I think they're thinking he's stupid enough to try it. Well, that's what they're thinking, but I mean, he Michael knows that it's. I mean, he he's up there. He doesn't want to do it anyway. He said that he saw the watermelon smash. He tells Dwight he doesn't think he should do it. He knows he's going to get killed if he jumps off. I think at that point, I don't think he's ignorant of that anymore. I just got to like I said, I got to the point. I don't I don't want to belabor it too long, but it just it just felt like that he was really really seriously questioning him himself and. You know, what do I have to live for and all this other kind of stuff. And the fact that they couldn't think of anything except for Jan. And then he goes off on how, you know, well, sex isn't that great anymore. <laughs> it's how it used to be. Uh, it didn't take very long. They should take her into a bathroom. Then. Any case. But, you know, and then they talk him down with that really totally backhanded compliment that Michael apparently is too stupid to realize that Daryl's insulting the hell out of him <laughs> right there. <laughs> And, and that takes some cojones to just assume that Michael is too stupid to understand that too, because that's his whole yeah, defense. What a big jump, right? <laughs> I don't well, know. maybe deep down he still thinks that you know that, that he thinks Michael's too much of a wimp to do it. Whatever the case is, he convinces Michael in his own stupid mind that uh, that he's brave and that he's braver than Daryl because he's Braveheart, and he climbs down. And part of that, of course, then is to see what his present was i like that dwight's idea of a present is some weird ass like sex robot from japan so successfully resolving that plot line michael feels that he's braver than daryl he's got his manhood back uh, for how long i guess we'll have to see now this the last little plot line here this is the one like i said that i really enjoyed the most i felt much more like an old school office episode the betting plot line and how does this start off? I don't know how the whole betting thing started, but it's fun. How many people a year do you think get their arms cut off in a bailer? Five bucks, says it's over 50. You really want to bet? Anybody. Ever since March Madness ended, I am so bored. How many? Okay, you're on. Ten people, Michael. Would you like to be one of them? No, don't worry be about alert. it. Let's go double or nothing. Be calm. What? I don't know. I'll something out. You guys talk about So we get this betting thing that just sort of starts up. Because uh, Kevin is like the worst gambler I think ever. I don't know if you remember from Casino Night, he was talking about how he won some little poker tournament, and then he gets like out bluffed by Phyllis, I think, in the in the big poker match, and he loses all of his chips. It actually gets so complicated that I don't even know how they work it, how they do all the payouts, because they have so many variables. On, on all these bets, but... Uh, well, somebody's keeping track, like on a notepad or something. All right, and, and this, now, this next line right here, this is in there to, just just in case you weren't quite sure that Jim and Karen are wrong for each other, we have to uh, hit you over the head with it. 47, 48, 49, Jim wins. Oh, that is not fair. He has spent hours up here at reception with you. Hours. And hours okay okay you know constantly like for years okay <laughs> so just like last week where kevin's uh you know like how did it feel to have roy kick your boyfriend's ass over a different woman oh, Kevin, uh, he's so dense i love it yeah he's bec- i guess he's becoming like the wedge the voice of uh team pam or something in there to <laughs> to drive that wedge deeper between the two now this next bet i you and I were talking about this before, and I wasn't quite sure what they were going for on this bet as far as, you know, the length or something or whatever the case may be. But, uh, well, I'll just let Kelly explain it for herself. What I do is this. 
I go online, I go click, 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 and I change the order of the queue so that I can see Love Actually as soon as I want to. It's so easy, Ryan. Do you really not know how Netflix works? I guess I forgot. You're such a dick. Ryan, well done. Two minutes, 42 seconds. Additionally, Pam, you win 10 because she said awesome 12 times. Mm -hmm. And Jim, you win five because she mentioned six romantic comedies. So again, like I said, the most complicated odds board ever. <laughs> All these different little factors. Now, th this is what we were talking about before. Like, um, I didn't really quite understand the bet. Were they betting? I mean, did they think that was an extraordinary long amount of time to explain Netflix to someone? Because under three minutes to someone that doesn't understand Netflix, it doesn't seem like a very long time. Well, I get. I, I don't know. I, I'll I'll take that one to my grave. Just pondering that uh, that mystery. But you know, the you point take is much bigger things to the grave. <laughs> Yeah, I know. All right, now, uh, I know this is one of the biggest comedy highlights for a lot of people in this episode, and uh, it's our good old designated hitter, Creed. Creed is eating an apple. I found a potato. Hey, Creed. Hi. I don't know this place as well as I thought I did. I'm getting cleaned out. Man, so kudos to Creed Braden for chowing on a raw potato. Um, I can't imagine biting through a raw potato. Well, there you go, an experiment for tomorrow. Well, you know what, I'm going to have to, yeah, after watching the episode, I thought, you know, I should try that. I would actually, you know, sit down with an apple, sit down with a potato, and see, because it, it seems like it would be impossible to bite through. Well, Creed, potato. he's so demented, or his senses are messed up from all his years of drug abuse that, uh, he has no sense of taste or smell. Anymore. Oh, that pot just ruined his taste buds. <laughs> exactly. But um, that was, that had to be, for, well, for me, that was the biggest laugh out loud moment of the season, other than Michael and Oscar's kiss and Gay Witch Hunt. <laughs> yeah. I was just rolling. I, I still think the Sockful and Nichols thing was funnier, but uh, that was pretty classic. Now, uh, and the more I listen to it, too, I love Creed's almost creepy old man. Hey, when, uh, yeah, when Pam, Pam comes, comes over. Speaking of which, because I remember he talked about this before, he wanted to see one of the suggestions he put in the suggestion box was he wanted to be able to see the receptionist because he was tired of staring at the redhead all day. Um, <laughs> and that made me think, where the hell is Meredith in this episode? Oh, good question. Or Phyllis. Even Stanley didn't really do anything up until that Phyllis last still on her honeymoon? Ah, uh, yeah. That, that could no, but she was there last week when she was making fun of his suit. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Well, that's getting us a little far off field. But one of the things I wanted to point out about that clip is that my only negative about the batting plotline was that I didn't think that it had a firm conclusion, a firm resolution. Where, like for example, in Office Olympics, the as weak as it might have been, that medal ceremony at the end that sort of tied both plotlines together. I thought really was a satisfying conclusion. Now, this plotline didn't have one, but some of the people on the blog page said that Karen's little speech in there was the conclusion. That was the point of the plotline to show that she doesn't belong, that she's an outsider. But, uh, I mean, i got to ask you, isn't that just the most obvious conclusion that you can draw? Because, yeah, she's only been there for two months. I mean, of course she's not going to know these people why is she surprised yeah i think that, that karen's line there is like an effective effective device to end that plot line but i, I would find it hard to believe that it led up to that yeah uh, well like i said it's pretty obvious that she wouldn't i mean the other people have been working there for years and years and she's been there for a couple months so why would she even think 
I just thought it was a funny line. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a funny line, but that's the problem with us uh, and a lot of the big fans that we look for look for secret meaning everywhere. The last part of the betting plot line here was a case of serendipity this week. I don't know. I thought this was kind of funny. When they're talking about whether or not Michael is serious about jumping or not. What are the odds this is in any way real? I'd say like 10,000 to 1. Okay, I'd like 10 bucks on those odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 on anything, you take it. If John Mellencamp ever wins an Oscar, I am going to be a very rich dude. And uh, the reason why I thought that was kind of funny, because I was watching Ebert and uh, Roper this weekend, and or when Roper was announcing the next week's guest host, uh, yes, it was John Mellencamp. So I thought that was kind of kind of a weird little coincidence. I wonder if anyone ever took out 10,000 to 1 odds that John Mellencamp would be the co-host on a... <laughs> Ebert and Roper. Yeah, that seems about as unlikely. And actually, we were talking about that, that, uh, you know, Kevin's bet didn't specify, but, uh, you know, John Mellencamp, you think that he has a pretty, probably not that bad of a chance to get uh, as an Oscar music category, you know, write some cheesy Pixar theme song. and Yeah, I mean, at first I thought that line was funny because it made no sense. Like, hey, John Mellencamp's never acted or whatever, you know, he's, he probably <laughs> has, but he's not going to win an Oscar. But yeah, he could totally, like you said, pump out some crappy Elton John asked Phil Collins thing, oh, which, yeah, uh, exactly. please don't do that, John. <laughs> Enough with the uh, truck ads. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, let's take a listen to the deleted scenes this week. Uh, as of recording time, there were two scenes posted. Is that the last of it? I'm sorry. It's okay. I can't always have what I want, but I can always want what I have. Well, would you like a cup of no coffee? Because that's what we have. Is it fresh? Are you going to beat me up? People don't need to be afraid of me. I can't achieve anger anymore. You should work out, Ryan. You look so hot. Totally. We should both work out. Screw you. Kelly, Ryan looks great. You should be thankful Sir, that you get... could you please, please focus on Daryl. Try. Summing up. Sum it up, Daryl. Sum it up. We got beat today, Dwight, but it was not a fair fight. No, it was not. Remind me again, what was the fight exactly? Who was it between and what was the outcome? It was the warehouse guys. Right. Dwight, they embarrassed us. Because they had a much scarier safety presentation. You know what's funny? Robin Williams, when a cat gets stuck in a washing machine. City slickers. Talking like Borat. You know what's not funny? Safety. Or making fun of the person trying to talk about safety. Not nice. I must show people how dangerous office can be. High five. Now that's funny. That is pure gold. <laughs> I gotta agree. Steve Carell's uh, Borat impersonation. You know, you Dwight's know, getting so worked up is even funnier with that deleted scene because at first, you know, he doesn't... Exactly. Uh, remind me again, who is the fight between and yeah, what's the outcome? Yeah, what was this all about? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. He goes from zero to crazy in like three seconds with Michael's urgings. But... Yeah, I mean, the thing with Andy at the beginning, like I said, I just I thought that was the way that Kevin gives that line, you know, are you going to beat me up? Yeah, that should have been included in the <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that, that, would, that would have given you exactly what you were talking about. Right, and we wanted to see, you with know, Andy's more of that. Line. Exactly, and that's exactly how I want everyone to think. When I walk into a room, I want everyone to question to themselves, is he going to beat me up? We got a little bit of Michael Ryan love in there again. <laughs> Yeah, that's a... Uh, Starting to forgive him maybe a little bit. He's so irresistible. Yeah. He can't that's something that just never gets old. 
It creeps <laughs> the hell out of me. But, uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, Hammond is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, now um, we've talked about this before, as far as product placement being on the office, and sometimes it works. For example, like with the iPod, sometimes it doesn't work, like with the shredder. Um, I want everyone out there, if you don't know, can you guess what product was featured as the product placement this week? And no, it was not bouncy castles. Okay, time. watermelons? No, not not watermelons. Uh, time is up. Yes, it was in fact the shiny red bailing machine that was shown in the warehouse. Believe it or not, the baler is produced by a Newport Beach, California company, who we will not mention because they are not paying us which offers the machine to any business looking to recycle cardboard paper, plastic rags, cans, and other such materials. I can't even imagine who they think is going to be just casually watching The Office and is going to be like, oh, I've been in, I'm in the market for a new baler. That one can crush an engine block, you say. Well, they must just yeah, take a chance. Uh, you know, Maybe somebody went into work on Friday, dude, I saw the coolest thing on The Office. <laughs> I know we got to get one of those. Ed Helms will star in a new comedy that's just been picked up by Universal Pictures. The film is titled A Whole New Hue, and the story follows three guys who try to raise their friend's confidence by making him seem to be a success. In addition, Helms is a co-writer on the project, which will be produced by Judd Apatow. Helms will also be appearing in the upcoming Eddie Murphy movie Starship Dave and join his fellow office castmate Jenna Fisher in Walk Hard. You had to borrow a line from David Spade. I liked that movie the first time when it was called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. So moving on, The Office has scored two nominations for the 2007 Webby Awards. Two awards the show is up for our best television website and best comedy short webisodes. Uh, you can cast your votes in each category over at webbyawards.com. That's W-E-B-B-Y. Uh, according to Michael Scott, what's so great about Wikipedia is that anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject. Unfortunately, negotiation process is not currently such a subject. After the negotiation aired last week on NBC, Wikipedia was flooded with contributions from users seeking to add several of Scott's tips for success, which included talking very softly, moving a meeting to another location, and refusing to speak first, none of which were actually posted on Wikipedia. So as a result of all these attempted additions, Wikipedia has locked down the entry, preventing users from posting new material. You know, I always got to just wonder about these people that watch something on this on the TV show, and they say, oh, I got to go and edit it. I got to go and mess with the entry. You know, I, I don't know. I, same thing happened before when Colbert did his big thing about wikiality or whatever and all that stuff, and, and they had to lock down some of these categories. So I don't know. People, come on. Well, speaking of the negotiation, Parade Magazine's annual What People Earn issue makes a very very compelling argument for the pain and embarrassment Michael Scott was feeling in that episode. Uh, in one of the features examples, an office manager from Naples, Florida, was shown to have earned $29,000 in take-home pay last year. Uh, in comparison, how much did Steve Carell make last year? Well, just $9 million. Not too bad if you can get it. 
That issue always depresses the hell out of me. Rain Wilson is among several celebrities photographed with their children in their favorite places for the latest issue of In Touch magazine. Others featured with their kids in places from in places ranging from dressing rooms to kitchens include Till Death's Jolie Fisher and Smallville's Justin Hartley. Okay, Brian Baumgartner is one of the celebrity ice hockey fans blogging for NHL.com during the sports playoffs, or at least he is supposed to be. Uh, as we're recording this, Baumgartner has yet to post anything to his page. In fact, uh, the only people that have posted anything so far are Eddie Cahill of CSI New York and Christy Brinkley, who posted photos from her first NHL game. Come on, Brian. Christy Brinkley is beating you. All right, you can find Brian's NHL blog at fans.nhl.com and go looking for it. It's too long to post here. Finally, the TVAddict.com is giving people the opportunity to send faxes from the future. You can download a copy of Dunder Mifflin Letterhead in a Microsoft Word document at the TVAddict.com. You can find it at the April 5, 2007 entry. Uh, it's titled Download Your Very Own Dunder Mifflin Letterhead. Okay, well, uh, next week we are in back-to-rerun season, so we have Back From Vacation airing next week. Uh, the week after that, on the 26th, we have a new episode, Product Recall. The office is in crisis mode after a large shipment of Dunder Mifflin paper is accidentally sent out with an obscene watermark. Michael tries to manage the media with an impromptu press conference, while Jim and Andy try to calm the high school principal who has sent out prom invitations on the affected stationery. Um, Man, I, you can just smell that, can't you? It's Michael Scott at a press conference. Michael Scott plus press conference equals well, serious cringiness. Hopefully uh, that episode will be a good one. Now, we have some debate as far as how many episodes are left this season, um, anywhere between three and four and five, so I don't know. We'll have to keep you updated. <laughs> There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Yeah, it's email from Hayden. He says, at the beginning of the episode, I wondered if Andy was going to remark about being pepper sprayed by Dwight at the end of last week's episode. But it seemed to me that they're acting like it never happened, any explanation. We kind of talked about this before. Um, I mean, I, our best guess, I suppose, is just that Andy is ready to forgive and forget and uh, try to pay back Dwight for getting him fired. No, it was just a really good gag. <laughs> uh, it's just posted by Emma on the blog page. There have been a few hints this season that Karen is very career-focused. Lately, I've been wondering, if Jan were to hold another Women in the Workplace seminar, would she identify Karen as a standout who would be a valuable addition to the corporate office? Perhaps this would be a way for Karen to appear on the office as a recurring character while starring in the rules for starting over. Well, that's true, even though, uh, you know, no offense to Ms. Filippelli, but she hasn't necessarily been portrayed by the writers as being particularly go-getting this season. Uh, in fact, she's actually backsliding to sort of become Jim's prankster pal for a while there. But, yeah, that would be a good excuse for her coming and going, sort of like Todd Packer does now. Posted by Paul, he said, I wanted to respond in regards to the point you mentioned about Dwight throwing in Bono at the last second in, as one of his heroes. 
Uh, he says this actually goes back to the pilot episode where Michael's listing his heroes, and along with Lincoln, Bob Hope, and God, he says Bono. I took Dwight's comment about Bono as a typical shrewd suck up. Now I gotta give Paul props for like the most obscure reference. Uh, I think that's a great catch. Now were the writers aware of that, or was it just a coincidence? I don't know, but uh, thanks for the catch. They're moment. aware of everything. <laughs> this was posted by Lynn on the blog page. So Michael has been with Dunder Mifflin for 14 years. My guess is next season we get an episode called The Anniversary about his 15-year mark, which to his agony will be completely overshadowed by something else. Maybe a 16 Candles shout-out where no one acknowledges it, or perhaps his proverbial crappy gold watch from corporate gets upstaged by Bob Vance giving Phyllis something awesome for their first wedding anniversary. Yeah, you know what, that's that's a good point, and I can see that being the case. And uh, it's probably a reason why they put it as 14 years. Uh, so next season we might just see that episode. And I don't know if it's uh, a good thing or a bad thing that we can already picture exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I like people calling the episodes already. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll just have to see for next year. Um, it's posted by our friend Martin Zhang on the blog page. He says, I doubt Michael was trying to actively punish Ryan by the banishment to the annex. At least not in that way. We haven't really seen Michael experience the horror that is Ryan slash Kelly. Uh, I like to think that Michael's punishment in his head is that he banishes Ryan from that front room bullpen area, and that's why he's actually being punished. Uh, it's you know that's a good theory. I don't know. When I saw it originally, I took it to have him think that he knew exactly <coughs> what he was doing, but you know who knows? Like Toby said, maybe it was just a coincidental genius. He also says, I think Mike hates Toby because technically corporate goes to Toby first about a lot of things, and Toby can veto things that he deems inappropriate. It's like Toby technically has power over Michael, and so, yeah, that is true. Uh, good, good as an explanation as any. Finally, this is posted by Melanie. I have to say you guys gave me a perspective to the break room apology scene between Jim and Pam that honestly didn't occur to me, namely the reasons behind Jim's reaction. Still, even while watching it, I didn't think Jim was being rude like some of my friends did. I know I've, get, I've been on the Give Pam a Break bandwagon, well, until she hooked up with Roy again, but this was the first time the entire season I felt that both Jim and Pam were being completely honest with each other and giving the other exactly what they deserved. Well, uh, Pam was trying to reach out, I think, but uh, as you said, Jim uh, was putting up the shun shield, I think. He was shun. definitely shutting her down, so... Uh, like I said, what will the two of those those crazy kids ever say their true feelings to each other again? Um, I'm guessing if they do, it'll be sometime during Sweeps Week. Uh, that's going to about do it for us this week. Join us in two weeks for Episode 21, Product Recall. Uh, please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show's blog page at that's what she said dot libsyn dot com it's l-i-b-s-y-n uh, if you have a chance please leave positive feedback on itunes and spread the word in the various the office related forums every little bit helps music for this episode was provided by the podshow podsafe music network check it out at music.podshow.com and remember head on over to nbc.com backslash the office during the week for more deleted scenes interviews episode recaps and more. And I think I will give Michael the last word this week. An office 
is as safe as the people in it. And sometimes those people can drive you to do crazy things to show the dangers of the office. That's the danger I found myself in today. I saved a life. My own. Am I a hero? I really can't say. But yes. Today is Safety Training Day. Toby is leading ours upstairs. But we are going to listen in on Daryl's presentation at the warehouse. We can find on Daryl. It's going to be solid. Mike, should you drop four I can and I have. We can we do safety training every year or after an accident. But we haven't made it a full year. Hey, Daryl, how's it hanging? <laughs> How many people a year do you think get their arms cut off in a bailer? Killer, I hardly know her. Five bucks and it's over 50. You really want to bet? Ever since March Madness ended, I am so bored. Only on the rarest of occasions, Toby now has the floor, and he is going to try not to screw this up like everything else in his life. Man, this is shenanigans, foolishness, Nerf ball. Damn you.